in a few moments, we're going to get to our passage. But two weeks ago, last week, Stu Briscoe was here, and he was so good as always. Two weeks ago, we were in Paul's great prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul's greatest prayer. And in that prayer, he prays basically four things for the Christians at Ephesus. And these are the kind of things that we ought to be regularly praying for each other, for uh, family members, small group, church, pastors, uh, people around us. And here are the four things that he, said, he named. Pray that, that we'd be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Pray that uh, Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That is, that we'd, Christ would be more and more real to us. Pray especially that we would grasp how much God loves us. And then pray for the fullness, that we feel with the fullness of God, that is the fullness of the Spirit. Those four things are the sorts of things we ought to be praying for one another. And then in, the, in, in, in that emotional prayer, he, he just sort of can't help himself, and there's an outburst of praise. And that is our two-verse outburst in Ephesians 3 that I'll read now, where we're going to focus. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, don't sit down at this point like we normally do. Say it with me, uh, kind of with some heart. Um, so not real fast. All right, let's read it together. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a seat. Church, I am so burdened that we, um, what's the word, that we, uh, that we deal with God in this passage and that we receive what God's got, got for us to, to receive. Can you believe that Paul is this emphatic in what he's got to say here? A sevenfold emphasis now to him who is able to do more than all, far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I mean, he's so emphatic. God is able, for he has all power. God is able to do, for he is active and at work in our lives. God is able to do what we ask, for he hears and answers prayer. God is able to do what we ask or think, for He even knows what we dream of when we don't ask. God is able to do all that we ask or think, for there are no limits to His power and grace. God is able to do more than all we ask or think, for He is gracious and exceeds our limits. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine, for there are no limits at all to His power. I mean, how emphatic... Could God be whatever it is that you are asking God for, dreaming of, God can 
do it. And church, I'm just so convinced that particularly that the church in the West needs to hear from God and believe this message. Let me give you to start off with a historical example. Augustine, one of the great thinkers in the early church, in fact, he became one of the top two or three theologians since the New Testament to the present day. He lived in the 300s. He lived in the Roman Empire. He lived in northern Africa, which, of course, at that time wasn't run by Arabs in the Muslim invasion of the 600s. It was part of the Roman Empire, just like Italy and those places. Augustine was a brilliant young man, a thinker. His mom, Monica, was a devoted follower of Jesus, but he was not. He had rejected her faith. Brilliant young man, profligate a wild living and lifestyle. At some point, as a young man, he decides he's going to move to Rome, the great capital of the empire across the Mediterranean Sea. His mother, Monica, is praying fervently that her son would not move to Rome. She just thought that would be just worse for him and it just carry him further away from God. So she's, he's, she's praying desperately that he would not go. He goes. He spends a couple of years or so in Rome, and then he moves farther north to Milan, Italy, and he's there a few years. At some point, she moves there also, some years later. Now, in Milan is a, one of the most famous preachers, speakers in the early church. His name was Ambrose, Bishop Ambrose in Milan, brilliant mind, great speaker. And because Augustine was interested in public speaking, he goes to hear Ambrose because everybody went to hear Ambrose. And over a period of time, Augustine, this philosopher, wild lifestyle, who rejected God, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's real. He and a friend, because Monica's mom is living in, 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 in Milan, right off, they go to visit Monica to tell her the answer to her prayers for years and years probably since before he was born, that Augustine tells his mom, I have become a follower of Jesus. She, of course, is thrilled beyond words, but she has some words, and she quotes our passage in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do far more than we could ask or think. And probably what she means is it not only came to faith, but it kind of a, a, in a wimpy way, but he's fired up and excited about his faith. He can, God can do far more than we dream. Monica didn't know the half of it because not only was Augustine all in for Jesus Christ, he decides to serve God full-time, leaving his uh, sexual wild lifestyle, becomes a Catholic priest, and then is made a bishop in his former town, city in northern Africa, a bishop of Hippo. He begins writing. He writes voluminously the rest of his life, and his uh, writings are spread, uh, you know, throughout the Roman Empire and have impact down to the present day. What, one of the great theologians and thinkers in church history. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, as Monica uh, found to some extent more and more. But here's the thing, church. This message is not about Augustine and Monica. It is about you and me. Because you and I have impossible 
uh, dreams and, and, and prayers in our lives. And some of you have uh, grown weary of praying for them and you've given up. And others of you are kind of just praying uh, as, as a ritual because you do not believe that God really can do this or will do it. And God did not put that passage in the Bible for our historical information, but to tell us that the God we deal with is the kind of God who does impossible things in everyday life. And he intervenes and gives breakthroughs. Now, to the extent that we do not believe that happens, to that extent, we do not worship the God of the Bible. We worship a fictitious God, a little God over here that's not very big. But if we worship the God of the Bible, we believe that whatever it is that we are dreaming of, praying for, asking God for, God can do it. Can he not? He can. He can do it. Abraham and Sarah, 89 years old Sarah, 90-year-old women do not have babies today or 2000 B.C. They don't do it. God had promised 25 years before, 24 years before, you're going to have a baby. They'd given up. They'd stopped praying. You know, no way that's going to happen. God shows up in the form of an angel, a man-like thing, and he uh, tells Sarah that uh, this time next year you're going to have a baby. What does she do? She laughs. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, she had completely... Um, given up on that dream. And what does God say to her in response to her unbelieving laugh? She says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for the Lord? A year later when that baby was born, God said, name that baby laughter. The word Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. God's sense of humor. Call him laughter. Um, Nothing is too hard for the Lord. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says to his, to his disciples, he says, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Does that include the thing you want? With God, all things are possible. The previous prayer in Ephesians 1 is all about the power of God to do the impossible. Let me just pick it up in verse 19, 119 where we read that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. God is saying to the Ephesians, this is something to pray for each other. Pray that you would understand and know that the power of God is immeasurably great in you, and the chief example is the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus, who was completely man, completely God, but also completely man, he was as dead as a doornail, buried in a tomb, and God raises him from the dead. That's the power at work within you. Resurrection, power. Dead body, raising, power. That is the God that we deal with. And we see it, of course, all through the Bible, from parting the Red Sea and, and the, the Israelites walking right through it to the walls of Jericho uh, crumbling to the ground at the horn to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in a raging hot fire in Daniel 3 and it not touching them to Jehoshaphat 
facing this vast army of three great nations, and God wipes out that army of 180,000 warriors without the Israelite soldiers lifting a finger all through the Bible, all through the New Testament. Miracles in Jesus' life, in the early church, time after time after time. Whatever it is, God can do it. Now, we cannot read this Bible and say we hold to these things and not believe that God can do the impossible in our lives with any kind of a, um, a biblical faith that pleases the Lord. We cannot do it. And yet, it is epidemic in the Western church. We do what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, not to do, those who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. If you are not praying for God-sized things, then you don't have the biblical faith, or at least you're not living by the biblical faith, but you hold to a little dose of Christianity or churchianity. God says, I can do it. Whatever it is, I can do it. So this morning, let me ask you again, what is the biggest of the miracles that you're praying for in your life? I got about 10 in my life, maybe 15. What is the biggest one that you're praying for that you'd love to see God do? Have you given up? Are you skeptical? Is it just kind of a ritual prayer now? Do you, do you not expect God to do breakthroughs in your lives and people around you? Nine years ago, John Sherrill, a worship pastor, part of our staff team, John and Kelly. John, by the way, now pastors our church plant in Declaration over east side of 45, and it's doing great after a year. John and Kelly Sherrill have a little baby boy who is um, born after 23 weeks. And so remember when Kyle was born. He is given, the little boy, Kyle, is given 1% chance of physical survival. I said 1%. He is given 0% chance of survival without profound physical and mental problems. 0%. This is not at your fly-by-night hospital over here in the, in the boonies. This is Texas Children's Hospital, one of the great children's hospitals in America. When he's born, he is in ICU. He is in NICU for 116 days. I think that's about as long as I've heard of, 116 days. Take a look at Kyle. Nine years later. I say to you, whatever it is, God can do it. This is what he tells us so emphatically in Ephesians 3. And so if we're not praying for these kind of things, something's wrong. What about for your adult child who's rejected the faith? I know some of you parents, you're, you're completely heartbroken, and, and I, I can imagine what that would be like. Can God save your child? You bet he can. Do not stop praying for them. Did George Mueller not pray for his top five 52 years? Now, one came to faith after about six months, one after about three years, one after about eight years, one after about 30 years, one three months after George Mueller died, 52 years later. George Mueller, a man of faith, believed this. If God puts these five people in my heart, he plans to save them. Is that the way you and I look at our top five? I confess to you that's not the way I look at them, not very well. I don't care how resistant they are to the gospel. They're not more resistant than Apostle Paul was who hated Jesus Christ, are they? 
They're not more resistant, I bet, than C.S. Lewis, this towering intellect and uh, scholar at Oxford University who was an atheist. And, and when he comes to faith, despite what he really wanted to, he said, I'm the most reluctant convert in all of England. God can do it. God can do it. Don't stop praying. Um, you got an addiction? Or your spouse have an addiction and it's ruining your life? And you feel like it is impossible? Let me tell you about Charlie Howell, our lead elder, our chairman of our elders. Charlie uh, came to faith. I could tell you a couple of great miracles with Charlie, but I'll give you one. Charlie was an alcoholic when he came to faith. He's told this publicly. He, I have his permission. And uh, now, Charlie had, had done some AA before coming to faith and things like that. Those are good things. In fact, we've got a marvelous recovery ministry for alcoholism and drug use here at Wood's Edge on Wednesday nights at 5, 5.30, broken chains in Portable 5. God uses those. But in Charlie's case, Charlie just believed that he ought to pray and keep praying about this. And so he's praying day after day. Four months later, he has been praying hard about this. He's driving down the freeway, sees an advertisement for liquor, and realizes that God had removed from him completely all desire for liquor. Forty years later, same thing is true. God can do it. He can do it for you. What about marriage? Some of you have some impossible marriages. You don't think it's going to make it. I talk with some of you who have, are going through the throes of, uh, of marriage uh, struggles. Let me tell you about Brian and Candace Jenkins. Brian Jenkins, who many of you know, has preached here before, uh, been the pastor at Riverstone before. Brian and Candace Jenkins, nine years ago, I so remember meeting him at Panera. He said, Jeff, I've got to talk with you. Something has happened. And this is what had happened. He tells me a story that uh, as Brian was traveling around the country, a very successful businessman, he said, Jeff, I was involved with serial adultery. Many women. And through a chain of miraculous circumstances, God brought this out in the open, and he confessed it to Candace. And uh, she forgives him. And he, by the way, decides he is completely committed to the truth, truth-telling, which is crucial. Friends, that was nine years later. Brian and Candace Jenkins today have one of the best marriages I know. They are deeply in love with each other. I did not say that Brian and Candace, that there, there was one adultery. Sometimes that just completely undoes a couple. There's no way. I'm talking about serial adultery. And God has worked such an impossible miracle and given them a marriage beyond their dreams. I'm saying whatever it is, God can do it. He can. Houston, a city of God? Are you kidding, Jeff? Get real. We've never seen that. God can do it. And I loved last night hearing uh, uh, somebody tell me, it goes to Wood's Edge, I pray for it every morning that God would make Houston a city of God because he believes it can happen. Um, you're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with unforgiveness. You're struggling with your temper, with anger. You're struggling with fear about finances. You're struggling with, with uh, all kind of stuff. God can rescue you. He can do it. Randy Mormon, 20 years ago. Randy Mormon, young man in his 40s, three small children, is diagnosed with 
mantle cell lymphoma, stage four cancer, uh, rare form of cancer, no survivors more than three years, no, no, none in history. So Randy and Michelle, uh, Randy goes in the hospital, he's going to get a bone marrow transplant down at MD Anderson. He has put in 30 days of isolation, nobody in, nobody out. Uh, they come to him and uh, visitors can speak outside in the hallway through an intercom down the hallway. On day 22 of the 30 days of isolation, Randy Mormon, right over there, stand up, Randy. Randy and Michelle too. Michelle, right over there. All right. You see, you see he's alive. All righty. Day 22, he said, I'm at the worst of the worst. I'm as close to death as I've ever gotten. I have a 104-degree fever. I've got pneumonia. I don't think I'm going to make it. Michelle visits him in the hospital earlier that night, not in the room, but down the hallway in the intercom. She leaves crying because she thinks that's the last time she's going to see her husband alive. And she's got three kids at home she's got to get, get back to. Well, sometime after Michelle left, there's a voice that comes over the intercom in the hallway praying for him. So he, he, he prays with him. He doesn't recognize this voice. That it's a male voice, and the male voice uh, knows all the details of his medical problem and even who had visited earlier that day. And when the, when the male voice stopped praying, he rushes over to the window to look down at the hallway, and nobody's there. He gets on the intercom, calls the uh, nurse, you know, who's been visiting in the, the hallway? She says, there's not been anybody in that hallway for over an hour. He doesn't say a word to anybody. Don't want to, you know, think he's crazy. And uh, two weeks later, he's out of the hospital with Michelle. And uh, he tells Michelle about that voice praying for him. Michelle starts weeping because she says, I remember that night. I thought you were going to die. And I was driving home in the pouring rain, tears just coming. And after a few minutes, I couldn't keep driving with the tears and with the uh, uh, pouring rain, and I, I pulled over, and I was crying out to God big time. God, you have got to rescue my husband. I need him big time. She feels someone place a hand on her left shoulder, looks around, and there's nobody there. Peace fills her body from head to toe. She turns on the Rich Mullins worship CD and sings to Jesus all the way home. There's Randy Mormon right there 20 years later. Whatever it is, God can do it. Far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. The truth about God, He's God. If he's the God of the Bible and not a little God over here of our own imagination, he's God, God can do it. All righty, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking what I'm thinking. Well, Jeff, I've been praying about something for a long time and he hadn't done it yet. Aren't you thinking that? All of you honest people shake your head like this. <laughs> so I'm thinking that. Um, why not? Why not? Well, this is what I usually say in this kind of thing, and I believe it. It's true. God is... The incomprehensibly great God, and I am not, I know enough about God to trust Him in the face of Jesus Christ. I trust Him. I choose to. Now, that's what I usually say. I'm going to say a bit more this time. 
I'm going to give you five or six reasons that might be involved. One, they're all about not something, not something. The first one is not ask. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we don't have enough faith to even ask. One day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see a whole bunch of things that we could have had if we had just asked. You have not because you ask not. That's one possibility. I don't think that happens much for us. Here's one that does. Not yet. Not yet. We knock off praying too soon, don't we? Man, we ought to pray for those things, for those names over there for a couple of years and we're done. The Nesbits weren't done after a couple of years. Abraham wasn't done after a lot of years. Maybe he was. But sometimes it's not yet. Keep praying because God uses these times of painful waiting and praying to shape our souls. Not yet. Thirdly, not best, not best. That is, bless you, that is, in the um, sovereignty of God, uh, it's not best. And God hears our deeper prayer. Let me give you an example. Do you remember my first story about Augustine going to Rome, his mother pleading with God, Lord, don't let him go to Rome. He goes to Rome, and God saves him gloriously. Monica, not best, but the deeper request for her son's salvation, God heard it. When I was a young man wanting to get married like a lot of young men and women, I saw this uh, woman, got to know her. I thought, well, you know, she'd be a great wife for me. She's, she's attractive, and she's smart, and, and uh, so I'm praying, Lord, could I marry her? If I would have married her, it would have been a disaster. Thank God that sometimes God knows it's not best. I needed Gail. Have you had some of those kind of prayer requests not answered? In the grace of God, it's not best. Now, if my youngest granddaughter, Wren, at one year old, cannot begin to understand even what her dad does as an entrepreneur, much less uh, Einstein's theory of relativity, how could we as a mere human understand the infinite God? Of course we don't. We trust. We trust. It's not best. I got two more reasons, and I hate to say them because, you know, they're, they're a little bit of a challenge, but, but, but I'm, for the sake of truth, I'm going to tell them to you. One, sometimes not fervent, not fervent. James 5, 17 says that Elijah, man with a nature like ours, prayed fervently that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth three and a half years. He prayed fervently. Now, I think that if the church in China or other places where uh, life and death were on the line, that we would be a lot more fervent in our prayers. But I think our fervency level here in the West is pretty tepid. Oh, Lord, do that. You know, tepid, cold prayers. Ask God not to hear them. Pray it like you mean it. Now, I don't want show. I don't want theater. God doesn't want that. But my goodness, put your heart into it if you want God to move. Lord, please, like Michelle said, Lord, you've got to do it. Put your heart into it. Last one, even harder to hear, not heard, 
because of sin. Now, I hate to say that because you guys who are a little bit obsessive like me, you're going to wonder the rest of the day, oh, no, is there sin in my life? (laughs) Um, Look, if there's sin in your life of this nature, you know it. You know it. I'm talking about overt sin. Do you know that the Bible says, Isaiah 59, 2, Psalm 66, 18, other places, the Bible teaches that if we've got sin in our life, open rebellion against God, God will not hear our prayers. There is a block between us and God. Now, God might in his grace answer your prayer anyway. He's a gracious God. If he'll speak through a donkey, he can answer prayers of somebody in sin. But generally, uh, it's a block between us and God. And this is what I'm saying. A lot of you are praying hard about something, and if you're sleeping with somebody who's not your spouse, don't expect God to hear that prayer. If you're pursuing an unbiblical divorce, don't expect God to, to, to answer that prayer. If you're regularly looking at pornography, don't expect God to look at that prayer. If you can't give 10% of your income to God, 10% in an affluent nation, don't expect God to answer your prayer. If you are living with unforgiveness and you will not forgive somebody, don't expect God to answer your prayer. Rather, come to Him and all repentance and brothers. God, you've forgiven me for everything I've done. I surrender everything to you. And in brokenness. I don't think that's the common thing. I think the most common thing is not best and not yet. But that's what the Bible says. Do you know what the main emphasis of all the prayers, I mean all the teaching of Jesus about prayer? Do you know what the main emphasis is? I can tell you, it is ask, ask, ask. Matthew 7, 7 through 9, John 14, several places, other places, Luke 18, 1. Jesus' main point to you and I, ask, because you've got a Father in heaven, and He's good. And He's good. Church, I come back to you again. What is it in your life that is the biggest miracle that you would love that you've been asking God for or should be asking God for? What is it this morning? Are you asking? Are you asking with a a heart of brokenness, repentance, a heart of fervor? If not, if not, whatever you say about having faith in Jesus Christ, you don't believe in the faith, you don't believe in the, the God of this Bible, you believe in some puny little God over there who's the God of your imagination. Or at least you're living that way. But if you believe in the God who says, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably beyond all that we could ask or think, if you believe in that God, then you are regularly asking God for impossible things and you're expecting God to hear you and you're expecting breakthroughs to happen. This is what we're going to do in closing. There is a white blank card on the back of the seat in front of you. Please pull it out. It's a, black, a blank white card. Pull it out, please. Now, of all of your dreams, impossible things, choose one or two and put them on that card. And I'll tell you what we're going to do with them. Uh, you can just summarize. You don't have to write a, a, a paragraph if it's praying for... Your Uncle Joe to get saved, just put Uncle Joe. God knows. Okay? Please do that right now. Please do that right now.
Okay. As you're doing that, this is what we're going to do with them. Several things. One is when you make your way to communion, there is a basket underneath every communion trace. And put it in a basket as an act of surrender to God. Lord, you can do it. Kind of like the Nesbitt's lighting that candle, a symbolic act. Lord, you can do it. I'm giving it to you. And of course, that's not the end. That's the beginning. You keep praying hard. Get others to pray. And then uh, we're going to collect all those cards in about five minutes, and I'm going to pray over them, and you're going to help me. We're going to together pray over them that God would just break through. This coming Wednesday night, we're going to do it again because we believe in the God who can do it. And we're going to see in the coming weeks and months, Lord willing, God's breakthroughs. Stand with me, please. Lord God, give us faith. May we not be practical atheists and hold to a form of religion, but deny its power. Lord, we need faith. I do. Lord, hear these prayers. Friend, if you're in the room, you've never taken the first step of faith, opening your heart to Jesus Christ, do that right now. Jesus, I need a Savior, and He'll save you. Amen.